Greetings, good people. This is your host, Kyle. Before we get started with this episode, I want to just mention that this episode features a guest who is a teacher and a world traveler, which is a way of saying that there will be some profanity in this episode. I know I normally keep them clean, but this episode will have some profanity and some adult themes. So just be mindful of that if you happen to be listening within the earshot of children or anybody who might be sensitive to this, this kind of content. Also, my guest was recorded via Zoom, so the audio quality on his end is not as high as my normal standard, but I hope you bear with the quality issues there. All right, y'all. Appreciate you listening and enjoy the show. Greetings, good people. Welcome to Who Knows It's Just Life, the podcast. I'm your host, Kyle. Appreciate you fitting me into your day today. On today's episode, I have a very special guest. Uh, this person is a big fan of the show, but he's really been a big fan and a big supporter of me my whole life. And uh, this is my uncle Sean. Uh, he's my my dad's youngest sibling. And so, Uncle Sean, welcome to the show. Uh, I'd like to say hello and introduce yourself a little bit more. And if you if you don't mind sharing how you identify. Oh wow, that's all. That's a mouthful. Yes, I'm um, um, Uncle Sean. And um, I am, I don't even know how to say it. I guess I'm cis male. I don't even know what the terms are. I'm a black male. Not not that I blackmail anyone, but I'm a black person <laughs> who happens to be male. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, and uh, I'm a teacher and a lifelong learner. And I have been uh, traveling as a teacher for well over 20 years now um and uh i've that's basically me in a nutshell cool i appreciate it and yeah so i mean just just a little background i mean like as you mentioned you've been traveling for decades and one of the things that that i admire about you is that you you got friends and family or or just you know folks everywhere in the world which is so so cool and impressive i remember the last time i think it was the last time you were staying with me um i think it was on the on the day you were leaving you had like your two or three backpacks in the in the living room (laughs) and with 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 the kiddo it was like hey kid like everything uncle sean owns is like in these backpacks and he was like wait what like how, how does that work and you were like well when you have friends and family everywhere in the world like you always got a place to stay and and I, I just that's just a beautiful notion and a beautiful like culmination of all the travels and all the relationships you've built over the years. Yes. Uh, uh, thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. I remember he asked me, he goes, well, where's your home? Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm like, that's it over there. You see those three bags? That's my home. And I said, I'm, your dad's house is my home and your your I don't know, your grandma's house is my home. And, and then your, there's, you know, 17 other homes all over the world uh, and counting, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's that's uh, I, I'm very uh, blessed in many ways. And um, to be able to uh, connect and I think even more re- importantly, reconnect when you haven't seen somebody for three years or eight months or you know, sometimes 10 years, 12 years go by, and uh, I've been able to find a way, or my friends and I have been able to find a way to just sort of fall right back into wherever we left off. And I don't know how that happens. It just, it just does. Um, and actually, 
a really good friend, uh, Emmett Dunbar in Vermont. He's an organic farmer. He doesn't want to be called an organic farmer anymore because um, that word has been bastardized about 15 years ago. But he's a, a farmer up in, in Vermont, and he texted me on WhatsApp a while back. He goes, Chun, the reason why it is is because, you know, you make the effort and, and you are out there, you know, giving and um, not to pat myself on the back or anything, but it, it's a matter of uh, I don't um, I don't expect things from people. I don't I don't uh, you know, I try to promote the best in them and I try to give them the best of who I am. And um, it's like what all these self-help books say, it just comes back tenfold. It comes back a hundredfold. Mm. And I, I didn't plan that. It's just, you know, it's the golden rule. It's just the way if we're all trying to do our best for others, then it, 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 it's just a better place to be. It's a better way to be. And, and uh, I, I'm, I'm just blessed. Yeah, no, I, I, I would second that because I, I remember, I don't know if you remember this, but I was probably in middle school and you were the one that signed me up for email for the very first time in my life with Yahoo. That's how long ago that was. And it's because you were traveling and you were like, hey, look, this is how we can be in touch. Like you can email me. I can write letters on here, like through email, whatever. And but that is true. You've always been trying to look for ways to connect, being the one that's everywhere else or like in the randomest places um you know you've always put the effort into trying to connect people with your blogs your writing you know capturing video capturing all kinds of stuff which we'll get into later i want to get into like how how you're trying to document and capture things and and kind of put it out there a little bit more a little later in the show but but yeah I, i i just give you credit for being that person that's that's trying to glue things together including the just the those relationships across time zones and continents and all that because uh, you, you definitely did that for me. I, I, that was my first email address, and uh, it's because of you. So, um, and I'll, I'll also give you credit for many, many other things. Which the, that list goes long is long. But just as a kid, I remember you always happened to come through and visit, like in the summertime, um, when you know around my sister's birthday. T- it tended to be in in that time frame. And I remember I just had memories of us going. We would walk down to the the tennis courts in the neighborhood, and we would we would wear our swim trunks too so that we would we would play tennis for like an hour or 15 minutes depending on how hot it was and then we'd go to the pool and then we'd go back and play some more tennis and just kind of do that and spend summer days like just doing that and and I remember even I remember going to Georgia Avenue day in DC with you and like like I don't know you just you just generally approach life as just like as an experience and you you live it up to the most like in every step and I and I admire that as well well thank you thank you I'm getting goosebumps right now because it does remind me of a lot of my favorite moments um, have been when I've landed back, say, in Miami, and I've taken a 24-hour bus to get up to Maryland because that was always my first stop coming back into the country or New York City, uh, where I had uh, my Ecuadorian friends uh, uh, that, are, that aren't living there anymore. But the, um, So, yeah, it's always been special where um, I remember, and this is something I always tried to do, I remember when you were just a, a baby and, and Troy was a kid and definitely when uh, Kendra was small, your mom or dad took a picture of me reading to you guys all. Mm. And I've gotten pictures reading to like the youngest toddler, the, the, the baby. And 
uh, creating short stories. When Kendra came up with that amazing story, there was two creatures in the, in the forest that were that became friends and they're on a search for something. And it was just all just coming out. And that was a great story. And just to be a witness to that mm-hmm. and other nieces and nephews watching them take their first step. You know, I think I, I was there when Kendra took her first step. And your mom always said, and she didn't always say it, but she said to me at one point, she said, you know what, Sean? People are always talking about quality time. And I think this is why I make a point to come back and try to visit people. Because um, she was just like, it, you can't have quality time until you have quantity time. So if people are not spending the time with their loved ones or with their children or with their whomever. It's impossible or it's, it's much more difficult to have those quality moments, mm-hmm. you know. So you have to put in the time to to be present and to be there, even even if I'm thousands of miles away. And like I've talked to you on the phone almost, you know, once every two or three months. And we make a point that Avery's involved in the conversation and we have, uh, he can see where I'm at. And then you guys went out and got samosas like yeah. the next day <laughs> because I was chomping on some delicious samosas in uh in Kenya, um, uh, a couple of weeks back, but yeah, and 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 I, it really hurt my feelings too. I remember we were back, all of us, all the Carsons are back, maybe for your grandma's uh, funeral, perhaps, and uh, that was like almost thirty years ago now. And um, someone asked you guys, you boys were kids, and they asked, you know, who's your favorite uncle? And and you guys were, you were like, oh, Uncle Magic. And I'm like, what the fuck, man? I'm the one who comes back all the time and brings you guys hats from Ecuador and brings you guys stuff from wherever I'm traveling. <laughs> That's <laughs> Why is he your favorite uncle? And you were like, well, because he's so funny. And I'm like, yes, magic is really funny, but you haven't seen him in 15 years. <laughs> you know how that's really funny that it that's 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 really funny that (laughs) you remember that i I think i think it had to just be because he he, (laughs) in in a in any and you i mean he's your brother and in in any given moment he's just an absolute nut but i think you i think in the in the years since then you've you've done a great job of being funny and i think i think you are you're, you're, you're coming up i think you're coming up on magic i think you're close to the favor now i don't know well, you're still you're you're vying for the fifth and sixth spot of favorite nephew, so you're you're you're, you're moving up the fifth with all the you're moving to fifth place. Appreciate it. Um, Appreciate it. <laughs> well, well, let's let's actually dial back the clock. I know I, the episode I did with Dad and my mom. You know, I I kind of we kind of got into their, you know, coming of age, grade school stuff. So, is, is there anything about your early life that you? remember that sticks with you to this point in life uh is there anything you kind of want to speak about just to share about your life journey there's several childhood memories and they come from teachers and they come from a neighborhood Uh, i guess the the whole point being is is growing up and being developed and well-rounded it comes from um the sense of a community uh, raising me. It's not just my mom and dad who had their ups and downs like all parents. I think they were very, very good parents. But the fact that we had, you know, Hattie and Frankie Brown across the street, a, mo- a mother and daughter, daughter was divorced uh, and, and the mother's husband had passed away. We had these two older black women next door that were just um, vital in my life. Mm. And my sister, my mom had no idea how to handle a daughter having uh, six boys and then Michelle, well, Michelle was a year older than I am, 
Um, so she, she would go over there to get her hair done because these other black women could do the hot comb and comb her hair and, and without her, you know, screaming bloody murder and have losing patches of hair. My mom had no idea how to handle uh, a girl. Um, but then there's also the Yates down the street. There was another uh, another black family that um, they were very affluent. Um, they had five or six kids as well. But um, he was uh, not the painter. The painter was Mr. Coriander. Who's another black family that lived on our street, but then he moved to this big, huge house a couple blocks away. Having these kind of role models that were black, number one, and and the proximity so close by, where you couldn't do anything wrong five blocks away because if anyone heard about it, your ass is grass, kind of. Yep. Uh, you know, you get by the person who was, you know, that saw you step out of line, and then when, when Hattie Brown heard about it, she had a wooden spoon, and then they'd tell mom, and mom would give you a crack, and then dad would come home. And so it was just like you just did not mess up as as a young one um, uh, because it just wasn't worth it, number one, or you learned to be really, really sneaky. Then there was the parsonages down the street. They were all much older than I was, but they were really good friends with my older brothers. Um, and the Quinns, for sure, lived in Saxon Green. But there was, and I can never remember his name anymore, but another man I delivered papers to over on Sylvan Street. I remember he came out one time and was giving me a tip for, for delivering the papers or whatever, walking, bringing his trash cans back in or something. And he just said to me, I was, I was 10 because it was my first paper up. He said, uh, Sean, practice your alphabet every day. And he's like, practice your numbers. Just write them out and practice your numbers in your alphabet. And, um, you know, and I think he was also the one that said, you know, you know, uh, practice your vocabulary, you know, you, you go through the dictionary. That's kind of how I became a teacher, because I fell in love with the English language, partly because of him, because I was like, I would I would, I would practice my my writing every day. And I would um, uh, your granddad was great where he would buy encyclopedias every time the salesman came by. And so we had about six sets of Encyclopedia Britannica and whomever else was making encyclopedias back then wow. um, on our shelves. Right. And so the newest ones had color photos and they had, you know, glossy pages. I fell in love with travel through the encyclopedia encyclopedias. I would just randomly open up anywhere and start reading about stuff that seemed interesting, whether it be the some rare bird or, you know, New Zealand. Uh, when I was in 10, in, uh, 10 years old again and Mr. Diamandis' class, uh, he gave us an assignment to write a, a socio-political economic report on any country in the world. And I knew everyone else was picking like France and, and I loved Greece. I wanted to learn more about Greece, but I knew everyone else was picking all the normal places. And I saw this splotch of land underneath Australia and I pointed at it and I said, hey, is that a country? And he says, yes. And I'm like, I'm doing New Zealand, you know, and, and I fell in love with New Zealand from, from year, 10 years of age. And uh, uh, he was the first male teacher I had uh, at 10 years old, and, and he was just phenomenal. He's, he's still alive, and uh, friends um, uh, actually have told me they've gone back and, and smoked joints with him, which is like, damn, I didn't know he was, he was that kind of teacher. He was fucking rocking, but um, had some of the best elementary school teachers in the world. Um, that's another reason why I fell in love with teaching and uh, travel and reading um, and the English language uh, because of, of phenomenal teachers like Miss Lewis in uh, third grade. We gave her so much grief, myself and Gunther Kern. 
we were the um, we were just after school for entire months. We just she was just like, John Thunder, all of March after school. You know, <laughs> we were just always messing up people. So uh, we had a great time. Yeah, that's awesome. So I guess you already kind of mentioned a lot of the those key seeds that were planted that that got you to be an English teacher got you to be an avid reader, writer, all of those things, and and the travel bug too. So can you kind of briefly synopsize the travel journey that that you've embarked on? I know you mentioned being in New York for 10 years. I believe that it's still true that that's the longest you've been in any one particular place other than growing up as a kid. Um, but I guess, like, I guess on either side of, the, of being in New York for those 10 years, you know, where, where are some of the countries you've lived in? What was some of the work you were doing? Um, and because I what what I know to be true is that you've lived on every single continent um, it, on the planet other than Antarctica, of course. So I just want to get a brief recap of how that all took place. My travel journey started when I was, uh, again, 10 years old in Mr. G. Manley's class and Mr. G's class and reading, um, you know, Agatha Christie and uh, Sherlock Holmes and doing research papers on um, New Zealand and I fell in love with New Zealand. And back then I had this goal of like, oh, I want to go to New Zealand for two weeks, you know, because that was the thing. The American dream is to work for 11 and a half months and then travel, uh, you know, vacation for two months, uh, two weeks. And and uh, as I got older, I was just like, well, that doesn't make any sense, you know, because I started meeting Europeans and they were just taking time off, a month off, two months, three months off of work and then going back to their same job because that's how the world should work. Um, but uh, uh, through reading, I got into travel, through reading National Geographic. Um, I, I was about the same age, 10, when I started really reading National Geographic and I would get frustrated. I would, like everyone else, I would, okay, so for the kids out there listening, National Geographic, before it was a television show or a channel, it was just the magazine. Again, glossy pages, really about 120 pages of just the most amazing photography, just like the show is now, uh, and the most amazing, you know, Richard Attenborough kind of uh, writers. And I would, um, of course, look through the entire magazine of all the photos, because that's what caught me first. And, and then I'd go back to the places, the most, the, most, the most dramatic places that I saw, or the places I thought I might want to visit, such as Angkor Wat or Machu Picchu, or the Great Wall of China, whatever. And, and of course, the bare-breasted women of African tribes, I was just like, you're always attracted to this stuff that is so exotic. It's so exotic. All these women with their titties hanging out, it's like, wow, that's so exotic and, and, and raw and real. And why is that like that? And why are we so uptight here? So I would start reading these articles and I'd get into three pages out of like a 15 page article. And I would just get so frustrated. Like you are telling me every minute detail about the trek to Machu Picchu or about discovering Angkor Wat or, you know, the tribes of the Serengeti or whatever. And I was like, I want to find out for myself. I, I, I got the, the seed planted in me now with the photos and with the three pages that I read, but I don't want to know everything. I want to, explore it for myself. I want to experience it for myself as if, you know, like a, a child when they look at a dead leaf for the first time and they stare at that for half an hour and they can play with that or look at it and investigate on their own. And that's kind of the wonder that I've had or tried to have with, with traveling. Um, 
Um, so I had the, uh, the dream of traveling from like reading Agatha Christie books and like death on the Nile. I want to go to Egypt and, and, and ride down the Nile. And so they, they inspired me to, to travel. And like you said, those 10 years in New York were strategic because I realized after not having any degree that I could still teach in Ecuador. So my first real journey was 26 years old, about a year after your grandma died. I, while she was dying, actually, I made a plan to get out of the United States because um, I realized she had lived her whole life for us. And, and, you know, your granddad and her had, you know, like many, many in that generation, like your mom mentioned in, in, uh, in your interview with her and your dad as well, generations before just, just didn't do as much uh, uh, and they didn't even go after as many dreams. When my mom was passing away, when she was still with, with cancer those last six months, I was definitely on a plan of, all right, my mom is one of the anchors keeping me in the country. So when she goes, I'm definitely jetting. I'm planning to go somewhere. And so from January, actually from August 91 until, until June of 92, I was homeless uh, by choice, by choice. I, I uh, chose to save money, pay off all my debts, and get the hell out of the country without owing anybody anything. And so that was my plan. And that's what I did. Uh, I was still going to school at El Camino Community College. And so that's where I met Enrique from uh, Enrique Levine. And that's when I started having the idea. And that's when I also met these uh, wonderful people from the kibbutz from Israel. And so I was like, I'm going to Israel. I can live on a kibbutz. I can save money. And I, my goal was to get into Northern Africa. Enrique, who's from Ecuador, kept pumping, you know, pumping up Ecuador, you know, how... I could revolutionize the people of Ecuador with teaching, even without a degree. So that's how it started. Um, and then when, when I realized Ecuador was a more viable option, I shifted and I packed everything up and I went to um, Ecuador. So Ecuador was in 92 or was that 93 by the time you actually made the move? 93. It was 93. 93. And you were, because I remember you being in Ecuador for, for it felt like years. How, how long were you there for? I was there four years, okay. um, and uh, teaching those four years, and then I taught at one private school, which was I call it Colegio de Ladrones, or <laughs> it was it was Pacifico. The name of it was Pacifico. It doesn't exist anymore, but um, I, Ladrones. I don't know if you know what it means. But it means thieves. So <laughs> it was just like the school of thieves. Anyway, I worked at that school for two years, and then. During, during that second year, I was kind of part-time there, and I'd get on my bike and go to another school called uh, Henri Becquerel, Institute Henri Becquerel, Becquerel, which is even richer kids went there, and I taught there for two years. And that's where I met uh, um, Marina, whom I almost married. Uh, the only woman I've ever really been in love with is, is from uh, Russia, and she was uh, working there um, after me. She got came there after me, and we fell in love, and... and were engaged and then that kind of all blew up a couple years later um so i was i was in ecuador for four years teaching and then i moved uh, basically just on the road again because i became a tour leader for uh gap adventures nothing to do with the clothing store it stands for a, a, a toronto company stands for great adventure people adventures i don't know why they have adventures in there twice but you know, it's gap adventures and they were 
Um, back in the day, in the, in the late 90s, they were like one of the top companies to go to if you were either um, new. We had a lot of newlyweds. We had a lot of single women because South America is one of these question mark unknowns because there's people of color there. It must be a dangerous place to go, especially if you're a single white man, a female. So right. um, most of most, right. it's like, oh, they're dark skin. We know nothing about them. And we can't, you know, we can't open up an encyclopedia. Back then there's no, there's no internet. So you couldn't really get a whole lot of information. But um, so this one uh, Korean Canadian dude, uh, Bruce, he was brilliant. He started this company because he had gone to South America I'm going to say in the late 80s, and he realized all these women that wanted to go but were terrified of going by themselves. So he opened this company, and most of my clients were single women from um, from all over the world. But uh, Europeans are a little less uh, fearful of people of color. Um, so we'd get, you know, people, a lot of uh, Kiwis, a lot of New Zealand, uh, uh, um, Aussies, and a lot of Germans, a lot of uh, Dutch uh, you know, people that are normally world travelers. And, and then we had um, a bunch of Americans that would go, but they would always be usually either, you know, couples or, or you know, uh, two or three women going together that, that were friends um, that wanted to do a vacation together. And I became a tour leader there with them for about a year and a half. So, um, so after uh, Marina and I sort of imploded in our relationship, it's uh, 96, 97, and I got a job with... Um, with uh, Gap Adventures uh, at just the right time in, 90, in January of 97, and I worked for them until May of 99. Having that kind of a job where it wasn't teaching anymore, it was it was traveling, you know, and they're paying you, this sounds like a lot, uh, like nothing, but they paid me $35 a day to travel and basically be on vacation for, you know, for almost two years, so. You can save an awful lot of money that way. You, I'm not paying for any food or drinks. All my food and drinks are free. Um, my, my, they pay for my accommodations and hotels and 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 um, anywhere I stayed, even when I wasn't working. They they gave me a stipend for whatever it was, thirty dollars a day to stay. And when you're talking about Bolivia and Peru and Colombia and Ecuador, you're talking thirty dollars a day is more than enough to. And I was actually sending money back to your Auntie Michelle to put into a bank account so that I could actually have some money in American dollars uh, stashed away. So a lot of people use that as a stepping stone to seeing the world and saving tons of money um, and traveling for free, which was always one of my goals. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I was, I'm glad you're weaving that in because I was curious. I, I was going to ask like how you made it work financially because I think that's everybody's biggest hang up around travel is like, well, how do you get? How do you afford it? And da 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 da. But you're you're touching on that as we go, so that's great. I also I also kill people every once in a while. Every time I sort of cast, someone's always got to be gotten. So I just get somebody, and then you know you got ten thousand dollars right there. <laughs> kidding! I'm kidding. My- yeah no but so what was gaps full territory or how much area did you cover while working with them so so gap only did um the continent at the time only did the continent of south america so they had a full like 120 day full full tour thing where you could either start in rio de janeiro and go around the tip of uh, Australia, the tip of uh, Argentina, doing Iguazu Falls, come up through Chile and then Bolivia. And then very often I would pick them up in Bolivia for 35 days and go from Bolivia 
into Peru, where we spent most of our time uh, doing the Machu Picchu trek, which I've hiked 14 times with my with my packs, uh, seven times completely, and then seven times not completely, because my job was to take the broke basses down and say, I twisted my ankle. <laughs> I, I'd bring them down, and then we'd meet them at the last day uh, at Machu Picchu, or the day before the last day, which is always my favorite um, area. The, the 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 second to the last day before you get to Machu Picchu, there's a place called Winya Winya, which means forever young. And uh, I just had the first time I went there, I had the most memorable time um, because it had rained the entire four days of the trek, except for that, uh, well, two and a half days. We get to Winya Winya at about four or five in the afternoon, and finally the friggin' rain stops. And the clouds open up and you see rainbows on one side. You see the rays of sun coming in here. There's a helicopter flying by over here. And then there's a little waterfall like in the, in the bush and you could hear the macaws. And it was just the most, it, it's a terrace. It's a terrace monument. But uh, that's my favorite um, uh, site in, in Machu, going to Machu Picchu. The last part was 23 days from, from Quito to La Paz, not La Paz, to what's the capital of... Um, of Venezuela, oh, Venice. Uh, Caracas, Caracas, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. Caracas. yeah. So if, if people signed up, not many people did, but if people could have 120 days off or 108 days or whatever, they would either start in Caracas and end in um, Rio de Janeiro, or they'd start in Rio de Janeiro and end in Caracas. So that's and then he opened up in uh, Central America as well. So he he actually the woman who trained me, Karen, she was Mexican American, and so she went to open up part of Mexico for uh, Gap Adventures back in 90, when I got hired, 97. Was there another big move between that and moving into New York? Oh, definitely, yeah. I was in Australia oh, right. for that about- that too, yeah. Yeah, so I, um, to make a little bit more money, I came back, uh, so six years in South America, four years teaching and two years as, as, a, as a tour guide or tour leader. And so this is now, what, 90, 99. So right before my boy um, Sasha was getting married, uh, he was my last roommate in, in Quito and he's my best roommate. He was like only 18 when he was my roommate and I was like 28 or whatever. Um, uh, he was the most mature, the most respectful roommate ever. And then uh, he invited me to his wedding out in Sydney, Australia. So, and, and so I went to New Zealand for the first time right before the um, Summer Olympics of 2000 in, uh, in Australia. And that was the five weeks of heaven. It's it's cold at that time in uh, June and July, but I, I had a great time. Uh, they, they, it was it was that's where I learned. You make plans to travel, but you have them very loose. You have them very loose. You know, of course, I had five weeks, so I have more leeway than most people. But I landed in Christchurch, and I'm at a hostel. And I see this baked potato and soup place down the street. I go there and I ask the guy, this big old guy serving me the soup and the baked potato. And I said, hey, if I only had three days here in this South Island of, of New Zealand, what would you recommend me do? He goes, Dunedin. I'd never even heard of Dunedin. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to Dunedin. <laughs> and and it, was, it was very serendipitous and it was very spontaneous. And it was the best move I ever made because... I go down there and there's this huge castle, uh, one of the oldest castles in, in uh, New Zealand. And it's a Scottish castle and there's a university nearby. But that's where I met um, uh, 
Margie, Margie and her, and her son, uh, Dion, um, from Holland. And I had just a great time with, with this woman who asked her son, who was 10 at the time, asked her son, where do you want to go for summer break? And, you know, for six weeks or three weeks, they would go wherever he wanted to go. He picked two places and, you know, three weeks, they'd go where she wanted to go. So she was a single mom taking her 10-year-old son anywhere that he wanted to go. She was also a teacher in Holland. So she had like three months off as well. It was just like, she was, I, I love this woman. She was just so amazing. And, and, and I just want to throw in when I go places, it's usually like a recon. I do a reconnaissance because it, it, I was like, I read about this place when I was 10. Now I'm 33 or 36, whatever I was. I'm like, I can't expect it to be the same. It's probably gotten worse. But when I went down there in 2000, I'm like, holy shit, it's even better than what I read about, you know, 25 years ago. So I definitely knew I wanted to go back there. That's awesome. And that's what my plan was. My plan was to go to New York get my degree, and then go back to New Zealand to live for six to 10 years. Right. Yeah, that was the plan. But, you know, you wound up staying in New York for 10 years. Uh, and I know there were a couple of reasons for that. One of which was, I know the woman, there was a woman you were dating at the time. You were, you were pursuing your degrees, stuff like that. She was like, she's also a teacher. She was like, Sean, you've got your, your, your BA. You might as well hang on and get your master's because then you'll be more valuable when you go out there. You can, you can command more and and she was 100% right and I loved teaching in New York and so um we we went our well we're still really good friends but we went our separate ways so yeah I got my master's and so this was three or four years after um myself and my my friend were together um and uh I was making the plan again to get the hell out of Dodge because like you said 10 years was like a long stretch but I also was thinking at it, uh, at it strategically. I'm like, well, if I've been teaching, so before I got my degrees, I was teaching at a Catholic school in um, Flushing, uh, Queens, right down the street from where um, uh, my university was. And, and the, the, well, the university I was going to, Queens College, was about uh, a quarter of a mile away. So I wouldn't even drive because it was horrendous parking. Um, so yeah, that's where I got my finished my BA because I started in UR High where your dad went and where your mom went and where everyone else in Rhode Island seemed to go. I started at UR High and then I went to California and went to El Camino Community College, which is now a university. And, um, and I finally ended uh, 25 years after starting uh, at uh, Queens College in Flushing, uh, a really, really phenomenal underrated school. And I highly recommend anyone listening, I highly recommend you can get a great education without going to the place with the top dollar or the or the prestige or you know people go to Harvard because of the connections and whatever whatever. But I'm a poor black that dude telling you I got a lot of connections and I've gotten to where I wanted to get to without you know the Harvard degree or without. And I've been as as much as I'm an educator I've been anti higher education most of my life and um, we can go into the systemic racism that goes with the public schools and schools in general in the United States. And we can go into, you know, the, the business end of higher education, which I detest. I do believe everyone has the right and the privilege to get educated uh, any way they, they see fit, whether it's uh, painting or as a performance artist or whatever. But I don't think they should be bankrupt to do it, you know. Um, oh, for sure. 
Definitely. And I know I, you know, I graduated with a lot of debt and I know that's very, very common for those in my generation. Uh, with that being said, um, I loved Queens College. It was a cheaper school. It was um, right around the street from where I was working at the Catholic school, uh, teaching some amazing uh, kids at uh, St. Anne's Middle School. So I taught kids from kindergarten up to eighth grade. And that's where that's what helped me to, again, well, I wasn't making at the at the um, at the uh, parochial school. They were paying me pennies, but I was happy because it was still more than waiting tables. And it was uh something that I was passionate about doing and I was learning my craft uh, a little bit more there. So I started teaching four years in Ecuador and then part of tour leading is being a teacher as well because I have to show people places and things and help them travel more safely uh, and sometimes order their scrambled eggs every single day because they've been traveling for a hundred days in South America and still don't know how to speak Spanish, which is just slappable. Mm, that um, says a lot. Yeah, she was a special case, and I don't want to talk about her because we almost died in, in Colombia together, and, and it's all because of her. Um, well, not all because of her. It's because of... I mean, your survival was because of her, her, or the reason you were in the predicament was because of her? The reason we were in the predicament was because of her. Uh, everyone else had canceled. We usually don't take... Uh, uh, we call them packs or passengers. We never more than 12 on any trip unless it was a special organizing and we never took fewer than four there were only three people that were going to go on from from quito to um uh caracas uh, uh venezuela and she had started she was one of the few that had started in rio and so she's like i want to finish the full thing and my flight from caracas my company was willing to give them in lieu of going those 23 days to caracas they were going to give them like a, a five or seven day trip to the galapagos they were going to give them all this other stuff and they were going to get them, you know, change of flights from Quito or even from Colombia out to wherever they're going to. And she's the only one that said, no, I, I want to fly out from Caracas. And so we crossed the border from Ecuador into Colombia and were held up by the biggest motherfucking gun I've ever seen in my life pointed at us because there was Miguel, the driver. There was, uh, I'll just call her Rachel. No, I'll call her Karen. Karen was in the middle from <laughs> England and there was me. <laughs> so the guy, the guy, he was only like a, a 15 year old boy or 12 year old boy. He had a 45, a friggin' 45, and he just kept pointing it first at the driver, Miguel, then at Karen, and then at me, and then back to Karen, and then back to Miguel, the driver. And I was like, gun it, Miguel, you know, kill him. And, um, and, uh, but he didn't. Fortunately, he stopped. And it's a good thing he did because there was another kid with a gun down like the side of the, so to the left was the cliff going down about 15 to 2,000 um, uh, meters, just a straight drop down. Um, so if, if that kid had shot Miguel, we might've all swerved off the road and all died. Um, wow. So it's a good thing he stopped and didn't kill this 14 year old kid that was stealing, us, stealing from us. So these, and a third kid gets on the bus, the minivan that we were on, and then we drive up into the hills, and then they rob us there. Um, and then, uh, oh, yeah. So the whole way up the hill, the third kid had a machete to the back of Karen's neck. And we're going over this, this bumpy road, and I, I didn't know they had a, a, a knife to her neck. I didn't know at all. And she, afterwards, she's like, 
I think my neck is bleeding. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. And she's like, no, the guy, the guy had a knife in the back of my neck the whole way up. And I'm like, holy shit. All right. You know, was um, it bleeding? but was yeah, it, did that uh, like for real? I don't know. And I don't care. I was just like, I shouldn't be here. This is, I, I thought we were all going to get killed. I thought they were going to rape the women and kill the men and then take off with the van. I was, I was just like so happy that all they did is take our money. We, we, I realized they were, they were kids as they were robbing us. Kieran in her little fanny pack, she had, you know how they, you have those, those braided bracelets. Mm-hmm. She had about 20 of those as trinkets to give friends or whatever. And the kid that looked in her fanny pack and, and fortunately she had dark hair, dark eyes, uh, and a really nice tan, even though she was British, she looked like she could be Latina. And I, I was just like, just don't open your mouth. You don't know any Spanish, and so don't say anything. Uh, and also, her passport, being from um, from uh, um, England, is the same color as the Colombian passport. It's like a maroon color mm. back then. So they might have just thought she. And these kids weren't that savvy, anyhow. They this kid looks in her fanny pack looking for money. He sees the bracelet, and he's so enamored by the bracelets, he just like took out like all 20 of them. And he's just like, Oh, wow. And he's showing his friends. He's like, look, it breaks. And then he was more, more, you know, taken by that than the damn money. You know, um, fortunately I, I always travel. Most, most of my money is in my socks. So they got a little bit of money from me, but they didn't get like 95% of the cash that I had with me. Um, that's not what I told the company. I told them I got wiped out of thousands of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, I'm kidding. All right, hold um, on. Where were we? Where were we? <laughs> oh, that was that was digressing. Yeah, New York, ten years, and then I made the plan to go back to New Zealand, and that's what I did. I went back to New Zealand. So I get to New Zealand in um, in October twentieth of two thousand eleven, and it's unfortunately after all these major earthquakes had happened, um, and they were actually letting English teachers go. So I couldn't get a visa. I couldn't get a job there. So my 10-year plans of being in that side of the world crumbled within six or seven months. I tried to get a visa for seven months. And after that, um, my life savings was dwindling. And I'm like, um, because I wasn't working under the table like I had in in Australia. I was wanting to be able to get a, a visa without them saying, oh, you had a job as a waiter and that will deny, that'll renege you from being getting a, um, a visa. So after seven months, um, I'm, I'm in the house in uh, San Martin and in, uh, in Christchurch. And like within four days, I do research on Singapore, China, and Thailand. And I'm just like, I landed in Thailand four days, four days later and taught third graders in Thailand for a year and then I moved to Vietnam worked there for two years and then I moved to China and worked there for two years nice and then that pretty much wait what year does that bring us to because then oh then you came that brings us to like 2016 17 right because then you were in Nicaragua for not quite a year with my dad and then that shenanigans happened yeah that that was fun that was fun yeah yeah um so that was, I think you said that was scarier than the, than the, the bus robbery, right? Didiamba, uh, Nicaragua was, was far more frightening because it was more long lasting. So I get there, I think it was December 9th, 2017. There were so many other things that it, it, the airport had stolen or wouldn't release 
some of the stuff or the immigration would release some of the stuff. I'd sent your dad and the organization tons of stuff, books, um, materials from China that I was. Oh yeah. I remember that. And they, it got like confiscated. They wouldn't let it through and whatever. Right. So, so DM, DM, whatever it is, whatever it's like the FedEx of the world, they, they wanted all, they really just wanted a bribe, but they were like, you need to prove that the stuff, whatever. So they basically stole like $500 worth of stuff that they could not use because it was clothing. It was books in English that they, they couldn't even sell to anyone. It was just like, why are you stealing this shit? And of course, I, I probably have money hidden in there as well. But um, um, but uh, it, it's like, just give us the stuff. And, and, and I don't think your dad ever got that box. So April 17th, I'm going to say, the 19, 20, 21-year-old kid in the universities were protesting, peacefully protesting, that Daniel Ortega, their president, decided to reduce the grandparents of Nicaragua, their social security. And so these kids were protesting peacefully and seven of them got killed on April 17th, I believe it was, 2018. And um, so schools were shut down. We, as a safety precaution, moved the seven or eight uh, volunteers that are mostly from Belgium and France and Holland, moved them to um, a beach resort area um, about two hours away, closer to the, the Costa Rican border, so that if shit did hit the fan, we could just take a half hour drive to the border and get the hell out. So um, unfortunately, the few of those, actually everybody in that group, all seven of those kids were in love with somebody from the town of Didiamba, uh, and they weren't thinking clearly. They kept wanting to stay, and I was just like, schools are closed. You guys are whiter than paper, and you are targets. You may know a little Spanish, but you stand out like white on a blackboard. So, so it's like, you cannot, you cannot, we cannot safely be here. Um, I had been in Ecuador when there was upheaval and there were three presidents in one day and that was less frightening i've walked through protests in ecuador where there's tear gas going off and there's uh molotov cocktails being thrown at tanks in the streets uh, it was almost like a monthly event in ecuador um, i've been through some uh, mudslides in bolivia and in in ecuador where i almost lost my life a couple of times i have never been more scared than in in didiamba because it was like your dad, I was like, I was like, we need, to, we need to leave these kids out of here because if we die or something bad happens to us, we've had pretty long lives and pretty good lives. So we need to watch out for them. And your dad kept wanting to have like a boat. And I'm like, no, 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 we can't ask them what they fucking want because they're in love with these kids in this, com- in this country and they don't want to leave. And they have this altruistic, like it'll blow over in a couple of days. So April 17th, seven kids got killed. Uh, Nicaraguan kids got killed. And then two days later, Daniel Ortega reinstated the social security stuff. But every single day, they were burning rubber tires in the road at seven o'clock in the morning. And so buses couldn't get by. Um, food couldn't get in and out of uh, into the city. And um, these kids were not just protesting their grandparents losing their, their pension, they were protesting a predominantly black region in the northern part of Nicaragua that had been under fire. Think of Katrina, had been under fire for about five or six days, and the government hadn't done squat to help this black community. Now, just imagine, black community, 
very culturally um, uh, 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 involved in the in the where where tourists want to go in their you know their crafts, their music, their food is so eclectically different from the traditional um, I forgot what it was called the rice and beans that they eat every day in um, in Nicaragua and, and the other fair. Um, so these young protesters were not just protesting. Well, they're not protesting the seven kids that were killed, and they were protesting these fires that were out of control in the north, in the Black Fruit region, and they were protesting like five or six other things that Ortega had neglected over the last uh, uh, years. Or Ortega, just to give a historical background, was a prisoner. He was one of the good guys. He was a, a rebel against the rich fucks that were running Nicaragua, backed by the U.S. government from um, the 40s up until the 70s, they were ousted. But Daniel Ortega was, was, uh, was put in jail for five or six years and tortured for all those years. He gets out, there's a peaceful takeover of power in the late 70s, which American government did not like, but or Ortega, having no political aspirations or background, became the leader. And so like two years later, he says, I, we're going to have elections. He got voted out and he stepped down peacefully. He came back like eight years later, got reelected like in the late 80s and lasted for like six years or eight years. And then he got voted out again. So he had been in, in the presidential offices since the late 70s, all the way up until he's still there now. So he'd been voted in though, like three or four times, which is just insane because every other country has this thing. You can't run for president more than twice. Um, so this last time he's in, just think of the old oligarchies that are all over the world. He gets in and he just loses his fucking mind. And he does stuff like, I'm not going to, I'm going to, you know, take pension money away from these elderly that have put money in for 40 years. And now how are they going to live? You know, so um, instead of just owning up and saying, yes, our police officers kill these kids, here's retribution, and we're going to reinstate the, the, instead of just backing down and being the, the man, he dug himself in, and it just got worse. So now um, we're all back in Didiamba, but we, we go down to the courthouse, whatever, and the courthouse has been burned down the night before. We go to the market and, you know, you can buy fruits and vegetables and stuff, but, you know, here and there, there might be a pocket of 20 people that are just yelling really loudly and there's a protest happening again. And, you know, I would hightail it out of there. We were basically living under siege that last month. And again, it was just like, let's vote to see, should we leave tomorrow or should we leave next Monday? I'm just like, what the, what is all the voting about? Let's just get the F out of here. So finally, simmers to a boil and, and, you know, the arguments finally went over more of the other passengers or the other volunteers. And it's just like, yes, let's leave tomorrow. All of us will stay in two houses. So many of them were staying at Gary's house or at one other house. And we're going to have three taxis come and pick us up from Gary's house. And we're going to all leave together at three o'clock in the morning to go to the Costa Rican border. And that's what we did. And so it takes about two and a half hours to get there. We're there about an hour and a half before the border opens, knowing that we have to get there earlier because every day at seven o'clock, they close off the roads with, with, with burning tires and bullshit. So we get there at about 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. We wait until they open up. We cross the border. We pat them on the head and we say, thank you for your service and, you know, have a great life. 
your dad and I chill out at the beach in Costa Rica for a couple of days. And then we were planning to go to um, Cuba, but um, by the time he hit, you know, clicked to buy the tickets, they had tripled in price or whatever. So we ended up in uh, Mexico for about three weeks, kind of decompressing there. And your dad and I had a fantastic time, um, like five days in Oaxaca, five days in Guadalajara, five days in uh, Puerto Vallarta. So then after that, um, your dad goes back to Maryland and I went to Florida and uh, hung out with my, my friends, uh, my Ecuadorian, some of my first students ever from Ecuador in, in, in uh, Fort Lauderdale and in Miami. So I ended up out in Hawaii again, you know, after visiting all my friends and family in Vermont, in Massachusetts, in Rhode Island, the whole Eastern seaboard. Then I came back out to Hawaii. So you were in Hawaii when COVID hit and everything. And I know there's, probably some stories there but I do want to uh, I do want to jump to your most recent travels and well <laughs> I don't mean to gloss over the I know you were in Europe for a bit last year and I, I don't want to gloss over that but I and because I, I know that was amazing I know we were in touch about some of that but I do want to jump to just in the interest of time I want to jump to your experiences in Africa most recently um, you started in in what I say is Kemet but Egypt um, then you were in Ethiopia and um, most recently Kenya so I guess what, what was it like being finally, you mentioned earlier, you mentioned wanting to go to Africa and you mentioned that being, you know, a later in life type of goal. So to actually make it um, to Africa. And I, I realized you didn't get to stay as long as you wanted to. I know you're, you know, but um, how was, what was it like after all of this travel that you've experienced on all these different continents? What, what was it like finally getting to Africa and being, in the three places that you that or in the three countries you visited there. I can't do the song, but yeah, it was it was everything and more because I'm so glad I put it off to right now because I do think things happen for a reason. I wanted to come here on my own terms. I wanted to come here where I didn't necessarily have to worry about working or or you know just rush in and be in a job for a year and experience countries in that way, because um, I would have most likely have started off in South Africa, which is a brilliant country, but there is so much more to these 54 countries that are in this continent. And um, coming in through Egypt was a surprise and a pleasant surprise. It's definitely my number one contender for where I might want to settle for three to six months of the year. Um, I do not like their, you know, their, um, their um, not, yeah, the civil rights violations or the way they treat their female uh, brethren, and I do not like how it's getting a little bit more um, uh, repressive uh, every year, but it is a most amazing country. I didn't know they had diving. I didn't know so much about the country that is just fascinating. And I, I again, you said I didn't visit there as long as I'd like to. It's re recon for me. It's just all recon. It's definitely um, amazing. I crossed the border, and like we talked when I, we were on the phone uh, from uh, from Ethiopia, and as soon as they cross the border or, or land in the plane in Ethiopia, the food, of course, everyone there is darker because northern Egypt they're more lighter and they're they're um, more Muslim. Um, southern Egypt is darker, and you find that those tribes uh, in Abu Simbel were the ones that you know kept. Uh, kept all the other aggressors out for the longest period of time, and they they their culture is still very much intact. 
they dress differently, their food is different, and their language is different. Um, uh, it's it's, uh, it, it's still it's well no they have a different language than the um, than the Egyptians in the north. It's it's just phenomenal. Um, but you cross the border and the hair is the first thing you notice, and then the fact that there's so much more color as far as clothing and they are more. Um, I think I told you a story about you know one of my first nights in uh, Addis Ababa and there was like a domestic situation at the restaurant bar that I was at that was just disturbing because you don't see anything like that in Egypt. You don't see uh, any real anger. I mean, I, I mean, I did see a group of dudes in, um, in uh, Cairo beating down this other guy. You know, they get into an argument or whatever, and either that guy has pissed off a bunch of other people, and they just, they weren't even beating him down. They were like slapping him, and he never hit the ground or anything, but they're just open, open hands hitting him, and yelling loudly and you know but six guys are on one guy doing this it's, it's kind of um disturbing and uh um um so but i mean that was the only violence i had seen in, in egypt was um i think my second time back in, in cairo um and it wasn't even that bad there was no fists there was no blood i mean i didn't stay long enough to watch but it was just like there was there was it was just like um more more demonstrative than than out to get blood like it is in in other mob mentalities um the food in egypt uh was amazing uh i, I unfortunately my stomach just cannot handle some of the spicy goodness of the dura wat and the uh some of my favorite foods there kenya is my second favorite country i love 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 kenya it's one of the few countries as i was leaving after three months there that i wasn't like i gotta get the hell out of here so yeah, I'm I'm I've loved my time in in this part of Africa for these last six months. Um, I'm definitely coming back, um, and it'll be a longer uh, period, and I'll most likely hit it from the west coast next time. I'll come down through Morocco, or maybe just fly into South Africa and then work my way up through Botswana and that way. It it you know it, it really. A lot of my travels just depend on who I meet, and and if I'm in a hospital and someone says you got to go here, you got to go there, half the places I went to in Egypt are because I met this man. Uh, his name is Ozzy. Oh, Ozzy. He's a Caribbean American dude, um, kind of like some of your friends you grew up with in Maryland. He was uh, basically educated in the states. Um, I think he's got a degree, a, a law degree, but he, with COVID, he he ended up. You know, traveling over here, and he's doing the vlogging as well, and um, you know that's sustaining him enough. So one thing I want to I want to try to wrap up in a little bit, but I, I do want to get I, I do want you to share what it was like, share what the reception was in Africa being a black man, a black American, traveling in in Africa. I, I realize that's probably not the not the norm as much as we would like it to be the norm. So I guess can you speak on that that reaction that you got yeah um it's funny in uh in uh the capital of uh ethiopia addis ababa you know men would just look at me and go oh nigeria oh you know uh senegal and I'm, i'd be like maybe don't know <laughs> right that's kind maybe. of why yeah there was, there was just be like i mean it's not just my clothing but they would they could tell by the way my eyes are, are different, my nose, uh, you know, my facial structures is, is different. And, and most could tell right off the bat. Some 
who aren't as I guess worldly, they they didn't know. Uh, I mean, they would they could almost always tell by my clothing. But yeah, the reception has been pretty good. It's been um, well. Let me put it this way: it's my last Airbnb hostess, uh, Esther, uh, she's in a bunch of my videos on on my channel. She's she was is like kind of angry. It's like, why do all you Americans not just so much black, but why are all you Americans always just you know, epitomize uh, Nelson Mandela. And I'm like, she's like, there's been plenty of, plenty of presidents that were, before they were incarcerated, they were put in jail because they were part of the rebel forces of bloody, bloody, blah, whatever. And I'm like, he was in jail for 26 and, and the third years. And, you know, it, and, and after we talked about it, she's like, well, yeah, I guess he's a unique situation. And I can see why the rest of the world and Americans think that he's uh, all that, you know, almost like royalty. Um, but there's, there were a lot of things that she was just generally upset with. Now, she's uh, relatively, she's not affluent. She, she is now, but she came from a farming family. And um, in Kenya, uh, a man is only as powerful as his wife or wives. And so, so they have inheritance. So every Kenyan from this certain tribe in this Kikuyu will be given land from their ancestors so they have that kind of power and that kind of uh, clout right off the bat so so in the, for the most part i've been i've been received very well um i i didn't have any problems in egypt and primarily that's because uh their government there has basically told has put out a mandate that americans are off limits because they don't want any kind of embargo against them they don't want any kind of shit from the u.s government uh, hurting their their country economically, um, politically, uh, militarily. So so they are walking on eggshells with Americans. You know, I I was told that other Europeans, white, black, whatever, they're um, you know they're not treated as nicely as I have been, or as other Americans might be, which is just so bizarre. You know, coming from where we come from, it's yeah, like it's, yeah, <laughs> the black man in Africa. Is treated better than European. It's like holy shit. So I want to jump to one, maybe two last questions. What what was being in Ethiopia? I know there's been conflict in the Tigray region. Like what was what was it like locally? I know you weren't anywhere near that area, but just it being in the country, what was it? What was the news like coming from that area? What was the was was the sent what was the sentiment like what were the local conversations around that conflict if if any like what did you pick up from your experience there what you would hear in most of the international news maybe aside from american news it, it's the civil rights violations were talked about in the newspaper and they were talked about kind of openly from the government and from the people of that area trying to regain their 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 territory so I guess my last question on the topic is, is just, it's kind of a reflection. It's a reflection that I have when I look at you and your life. And, and you know, I basically followed the same life path as my dad, who got married out of college, settled down, had kids, that kind of thing. Um, I got divorced a bit earlier than he did. But, um, you know, so my, my life started out very similarly in just just in terms of settling down and buying a home and that kind of thing. And and I, I look at you and I'm like, wow, that that's that's a beautiful way of living. That's a beautiful like thing to be able to figure it out for your life. And I, I, I understand that it, you know, it you didn't. I don't know if you, you, I feel like you maybe wanted to have kids and stuff like that. And, and, and I know those things, 
as you always say, plans change, as has been evident by just the, plan, the travel plans themselves. But I guess reflecting on just like life goals in general and looking at me as a mid-30s person who has chosen that settled life so far, but looks but looks um, a little bit enviously at, or not envious, that's the wrong term, um, admirably at your life and, and what, you, what you're doing, what would you say to me or anybody that's living my, my style of life in this moment based on your experiences? As far as what, don't get married, don't have kids? <laughs> no, that's not. <laughs> no, I, I, unless that's the advice. Bad, no. I told you that before you got married, I said, don't do it, don't do it. <laughs> No, well, I, and then there's the there's the video you posted uh, that was like, you know, drop out of school and do this, kids. <laughs> you were on the boat. Oh, you saw that. Nice. You saw that. Yeah. I oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My advice to you and everyone else is live your best life, what's best for you. I, I've told people, I've told you so, several times that what I've done and what I'm doing is not for everybody, you know. Um, you're right. I did want to have kids. I did want to be more like your dad. I, I thought your dad and your mom had the best, the, the perfect uh, marriage and the perfect, uh, no, no one does, but I thought having, you know, the two boys and a girl um, and having, they were living the life I always wanted to live. And even when I first went to university, I was trying to force myself into computer science and because that was like the wave of the future. And we're talking 84 here, 1984. And I, you know, I thought it's a lucrative job, but I, I saw myself 20 years later being 310 pounds, someone, you know, bent over some outlet, fixing the back of some CPU and, you know, having plumbers crack and all. That's how I saw myself, you know, bald and just grossly overweight and, and making great money. But just like I, I, the way I envisioned my future being in IT was just not the way it is and not the way most IT professionals are. But that's what I saw. At, at 17, 18 years of age. So my advice is, or my, you know, recommendation is, is do you, boo-boo. I mean, <laughs> do, do, the best, <laughs> do the best you can do. Build a life the best way you want. I, I mean, I listened to your interview or your talk with Tony and everyone is different. Everyone is different. And and I constantly tell my, my boys, Vinny and Louie and others, uh, the, the others that I'm mentoring or that I've taught, it's like, this is not for everyone. It's it's kind of a difficult life if your um, if your mindset is for um, you know being settled down or having kids say by forty or whatever forty five. And I and that was my plan. My plan was to find somebody on my travels. And Marina was that person. My Russian girlfriend, my Russian fiance. She was that person. And then that just didn't pan out. And so um, for me. I um, refuse to settle. So it's like, people keep saying, why do you compare every other girlfriend to her? It's like, well, if she was the, the, the epitome of what I've, what I've attained in the past, then why would I go for anything else less than? And, you know, people look at that and they, you know, oh, speaking of Africa, the, the Ethiopian men, the, the Kenyan men, they, when you say, um, you're not married, and you know they're like, "Oh, you're missing out." They're like, "I was crazy. I was lost. I was out of control before I got married. Now I have a few kids, and I'm that that focus, I've got direction, I've got." And I'm like, "Okay, but 
it's not for everybody to be married and have kids is not everybody's design. And I, you know, I was like, well, I have 2,572 kids that I've taught that are like my kids. And this one guy in, in, in Ethiopia goes, ah, that's bullshit. That's what all teachers say. And I'm like, yeah, well, I'm sorry, but you can yell at me that I'm, that I'm not living the good life because I don't have kids or I don't have this wonderful woman to go, to go home to every night. But it's like, you know, I have freedom in so many other ways and I have, oh, put it this way, if I had gotten married even 15 years ago, 20 years ago and had kids, I definitely would not have been there for certain other friends' kids' baptisms. I would not have been there for weddings or funerals or other events because I most likely would not be living in the States. I'd be living wherever I found my my wife and or wherever she found me. So it's it's a matter of um, you know I don't even see the it sacrifices. It's just it's just uh, we are of a nation that we have choices, and one of the worst afflictions that happen to a developed nations is having too many choices. Um, so we always feel like we're missing out on something. This this whole thing of FOMO, you know, the fear of missing out. It's yeah, like. Yeah. Whatever you're doing, it's like, I could have been doing it. Yeah, you could have been, but just look at yourself. Take a few deep breaths and go, am I happy? And if you can say yes, much of the time, then you're in a good place. And it's okay to not be okay and say, no, I'm not happy. Because yeah. then you have a choice to fucking change it. In your, in your show, you mentioned that in every intro. Like, you're trying to figure things out, and you make contradict three times in the next half hour what you thought <laughs> firmly believed in. And I've listened to your episodes and, and you do. <laughs> because in certain circumstances, letter A is the right answer, but in other circumstances, C is the right answer. And, and so it, it, it varies. It, 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 it fluctuates. It's not ever yeah. one size fits all. So that would be my advice. One size does not fit all figure out what fits you and go after that as best you can. And I think it's also fair to say that the, the fit might change based on your life. I mean, my, my dad did the settle down thing. And then at 50, you know, before he actually made the move, he knew he wanted to make a move, but at 55, he retired early and he's living the life he's living now. Um, so yeah, it's, you can always change it up at, at, at a different point. And that's exactly it. I mean, I've lost about 20 pounds, since I've started traveling in, maybe 30 pounds, uh, 25 pounds, I've started putting some of it back on again. But I mean, it, you're right. So just like our waist size changes and we need to get our, have the pants let out or just get a new friggin' pair of pants, it's the same thing. You know, it's, it, things change. Um, our taste buds change every seven years. As your, your Uncle Magic used to always tell me, uh, used to say, I was about to go into the military. I was 18. This is almost 40 years ago. He said, the average person will change their jobs every seven, seven years. And he's been right because yeah. as we've been become more educated and communication is more, is more accessible. We can teach ourselves how to do different things and we can, we can, we evolve, we change into something different. So yeah, one size does not fit all. And, and right where those sizes are going to change, they're going to go yeah. up, they're going to go down, they're going to be, and then the style, you might be in the stripes for a few years and then you might be in the polka dots. Right? And it's just, <laughs> it's, it's you, you do you, you know? Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. A lot of time, you know, I, I've, 
I obviously live in the same area I grew up in and you know some friends also never never traveled never lived anywhere else or whatever and and when we talk about you know finding partners romantic partners and stuff like that it's like oh the, the the conversation is about you know it comes up it's like oh do you believe in a soulmate and it's like no there's like eight billion people on the planet like there's there's got to be like probably a thousand people or maybe two thousand people that things that things would feel amazing with right and right. and but you've traveled the world and there's still just that one soulmate that you had so maybe we're all wrong <laughs> again again you do you because it's it's a matter of that's the only person I could have settled. Most, I think most people in the world. See, that's settling. Stuff. I'm not talking about settling. I, our, 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 our thought, our thought was that like there'd be a thousand people, or you know, some number of people that's bigger than one, that you know, it wouldn't feel like settling. If you, you would feel that same way that you felt with. Oh, okay. yeah, I know what you mean, and I do, I do believe there is someone else out there. I do believe I could have been very happy with with a couple other women. I've always been too logical in that sense. It's just like, and that may have kept me out of some relationships. It's just like you, you might be able to see being with someone for five or six years, but then, and that's just me again, doing the chess game, mapping it all out. And, and, and I could have been wrong. You know, I could have been wrong a couple of times, but it's, it, I, I don't think I've missed out. I don't think I've, uh, I may have made the wrong decision here or there, but I don't live with regrets and I don't, um, I don't, uh, I don't dwell on that. I don't. I don't say, "Oh, I could have. I should have." I, you know, it's just like I'm still doing positive things. I'm still working towards something bigger than I've ever done before. I feel like I'm I'm on a path towards my next best me, and I feel like um, I'm getting really close. And 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 for me, I think part of that meditative process is traveling because mm. because I got to see what I don't want to be. I got to see what I don't want to be doing. I feel you. And that's a beautiful perspective. And I, I feel like I've had that perspective myself in the last, you know, five or six years, just every year being the best year of my life and making it just, you know, the new version of you. I, I talk about like, I, you know, everybody gets caught up in like, you know, I mean, you probably don't as much as others, but like the whole new year resolution thing, but like every day is a new day to start a new year or something or whatever. And it doesn't have to be on January 1st. It could be any, any, at any point you can, you can, you know, course correct or change your pivot and, and do something differently. So, you know, I think that's uh, the way you, the way you, the way you worded it though, is, was very poignant. And I, I appreciate that. Well, I have listened to your podcast and I think I've, I've gleaned a bunch from, from your, your podcast when you had your the like the anti-resolution thing in the beginning of january i think a year ago and then you you know you start your your podcast with like um you know i fell off of, of doing my 20 minutes a day or, or whatever your goal was for the fitness the physical the the mental health and the um emotional health i think that uh, if you fall off for a month or, or you get too busy or whatever and the fact that you know when you said oh Avery came home and, and he was like, hey, we didn't do that thing we did last night, you know, the, the, the mindfulness, you know, when you mentioned that in one of your podcasts and, and how that hit you, or maybe we were on the phone and you mentioned that, but it was just like, he reminded you that that Sundays was the day to do the mindfulness when you're with him and, and, and he reminded you. So it's like, it's like, um, and that's what we're all here for. We're all here to keep each other checks and balances. We're all here to remind each other. I love your podcast because because you talk about so many things, the political stuff I have to get ramped up for because it's, it's, <laughs> it's heavy. 
All right. Um, the last, the last questions, just for like, you know how I have uh, the questions for the guests. So the first question is, what superpower would you be if you could have a superpower? <laughs> I would like to be able to eat forty-seven grapes all at the same time <laughs> and not choke on any of the seeds. No, I don't. I don't really know what my superpower would be. Um, I, I think, I definitely, I think, I wish I could be in more places at the same time, at least one other place at the same time. Um, mm. so, so like be like flash, I guess, be able to get to one place. Although that's still not being at two places at the same time. I would like to be able to split and be fully present at both places. And then, you know, be able to do that. Even if I could just do that sometimes for a half hour, every once in a while, that would be a great superpower. Yeah. That's a good one. Okay, cool. Uh, what's the last book you read and do you recommend it or just the last book you, that you've read recently that you do recommend? Definitely recommend, um, come as you are by Dr. Emily Nagalski. Um, she's got the series on, uh, Netflix called the pleasure principle and it's everything it sounds like <laughs> nothing to do with Janet Jackson, but it definitely is the pleasure principle. Um, basically about women becoming more empowered with their bodies, uh, and understanding how their bodies work um highly recommend that for all people to read not just not just women i think everyone needs to understand how they're treating um the the opposite sex and 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 how uh how you know missionary normal sex for most women is just not doing it for them and you don't and that's just the tip of the iceberg it, 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 no pun intended but it's, it's <laughs> recommend that i'm halfway through the promised land uh by obama um i can expect to be free again on libby um oh nice but uh yeah that's the the books i was rocking out to cool uh last question is what song are you rocking to i know you're sending me songs all the time what songs are you what song are you rocking to right now oh right before you called a song by shatter Shatter story called October Child, um, and it's uh, it's from a 2006 uh, Chill Step collection. I've been sending you guys like chill hop and and yeah. uh, lo-fi stuff that my friend uh, Ali she got me onto a few years ago in uh, in Hawaii. Uh, I've gotten into the chill step, and it's just awesome because it starts out chill and then it it drops. And October Child by Shatter Story um, is Fan friggin' tastic! Um, nice. They've got two other cuts on this album that I was listening to while while I was doing work today, and I I gotta check those out to see if they're as good as October Child. I couldn't I couldn't sit still when I when I put it on this afternoon. I was like, oh my goodness! And I'm like, just dancing around the room like a madman. Um, cool. Um, actually, one thing I forgot to ask you in the beginning is is where are we talking to you from? Istanbul, Istanbul, Turkey. All right. Um. At the end, I also you do have your your vlog stuff. Your your it's hilarious to me that you have social medias in the varieties that you do. So, um, for the listeners on this show, um, please drop whatever uh, YouTube channels and other other things that you are posting to, so that folks can can follow you and you know see more about your content and travels. Yes, um, uh, at do epic shit. 
13, just the way it sounds. My, my, um, I tried to do my blog page as do epic shit, but then it just came out as Sean Carson. So I guess I am epic shit. Um, I don't know. I think Wi Fi <laughs> dropped out when I, I, I put in a new name and then I think Wi Fi or the power went off or whatever. And so it just kept my name on. So my, my blog name is Sean Carson. Make sure you're looking for the black one because there's about 82 Sean Carsons that have um, uh, vlogs and um, mine is just Sean Carson. It will be changed on um, rebranding to do epic shit. Um, I can also be reached at, at Sean CA 4180709. I don't know how that came out, but that's, I think that's a Twitter. I'm not sure. I'll, I'll, I'll text it to you. You'll, you'll be able to get that. All right, I'll put it in the show notes. That sounds good. I appreciate you joining me on this conversation. This was a lot of fun. And I, I noticed so much, t- so many stories that you have and uh, so many lessons and just stories of hilarity and, and poignancy and all that over the years. So I appreciate you sharing some of those. And uh, maybe we'll do it again some other time. Oh, maybe uh, when you're in person, next time you're in town, uh, we can do another one. Um, that'll probably be 2061. That's the next time I plan to be. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my 23rd year plan. <laughs> well, as things have changed, it might be in a couple years. So, yeah. No, it probably will. Yeah. <laughs> cool, cool. All right. Well, I appreciate it. I love you and uh, be safe out there. And uh, as always, we'll be in touch. I'll try to get, get you on the phone with the kid again soon, too. Yeah, yeah. Let me know when you have them and, uh, and we can chat and I'll have the videos so we can see some more great food that you guys will go out and oh, there's such great food here in Turkey. You have to, have to, have to. Um, um, I'll do a video chat with you and, 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 and the, the young one. That to me is, and even what we're doing now is, is, is so, uh, it's what gives me energy to keep going on and to keep going. But man, I love you too. Uh, thank you so much for this opportunity, and uh, keep doing your your your, your podcast because I do really really enjoy um, just getting lost in them. And and you've gotten the notes that I've sent back to you. I'm always quintessentially oh, yeah. teacher, and I'm just like this is what I oh, thought no, about. I, I love it. I do. I do. For for those for those listening, this uncle of mine <laughs> will write notes notes feedback just thoughts like other other sources just other stuff that um to complement you know the episodes that he's he's watched or i'm sorry that he's listened to so um yeah now nah, for sure i really appreciate that i read them all and i i it's it's very helpful to get that feedback so the rest of you listeners too i welcome your feedback too but but thank you uh sean for for providing it all right that's the show thank you all for listening to this episode of who knows it's just life the podcast as always, you can get at me on Instagram at RealDadult. That's R-E-A-L-D-A-D-U-L-T. I look forward to any feedback you have on this episode or any prior episodes. Also, if you have any ideas for any future episodes, I'm game to hear those as well. Hope to catch you here next time. Until then, be safe, be well, peace. Show on YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast.
always. Thank you.